You're listening to the award-winning podcast, The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, featuring business leaders to help you navigate a constantly changing marketplace. Want to become known as a trusted authority while building a thriving business you love? The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will show you how. Here's your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show brought to you by the InfluenceAlliance.com, the business building community for change makers who want to build a sustainable, scalable business they love. And yes, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, my guest today says there is a roadmap for growing your business and too many leaders don't know about it. We'll get her to share her secrets on today's show. So stick around and grab a pen and paper because joining me today is Madeline Dunlap. Madeline, she is passionate about helping entrepreneurs find a fitting reward for their sacrifice. And she loves her job because it allows her to do just that. Now, she lives in the suburb just outside of Denver, Colorado, with her husband and three daughters. And she loves spending time outside on the weekends. Now, specifically on today's show, Madeline's going to share the secret of how to divide your time as a leader. She's going to talk about finding out why the number of employees in your company directly informs the rules for how you should run your business, as well as discover the best ways to prioritize three very important areas of your business, which are profit, people, and process. So welcome to the show, Madeline. Hi, Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, excited for the topic that you're going to talk about today. But before we dive into all of that good stuff, just share with people a, a snapshot of the journey that led you down the path to where you are today. Because I always think that the journey and the path that we've walked really informs and we bring a lot of richness to the conversation because of that. So what was that for you? Yeah, absolutely. I always start out these conversations. Um, it's a little shocking, but I've never been a business owner. Um, I spend my days talking to business leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, but I've actually never stood in their shoes. Um, and that's not usually the introduction people would expect. The thing is, though, is that I work with a, a business growth methodology that isn't built on my own personal experience. It really is a business growth methodology that spans the, the successes and the failures of decades of businesses. And, um, and the point is, is that I've seen this work firsthand. I've seen small businesses. My, my background really began with entrepreneurial parents. So from a very young age, I was in that, the passenger seat, I guess, of the entrepreneurial bus. Even though I was never the driver, my proximity to that made those sacrifices and the stress and the challenges so real that they almost felt like my own. And so when I came across this business growth methodology, I was right out of college I was a new manager. I was working in a good company, but the company was stuck. And before I really had enough experience to know the difference, I watched this business growth methodology transform our business. We grew to three times the size in three years. We reduced uh, turnover to virtually nothing. We improved profit margins and we increased the value of the business tenfold. And we were working just as hard as we were before. We weren't, we didn't, you know, 
we didn't work harder to achieve those results. We were just focused in the right places. And so that kind of led me into this opportunity. That business was actually acquired because we achieved so much success. And then the CEO acquired this methodology and invited me to be on this journey to take it to other business leaders. Mm. I love that. It's interesting that you should say, you know, from the observation of your parents, you know, their entrepreneurial pursuits and the number of conversations that I've had with leaders who are now in their own businesses, helping other leaders within their leadership skills. And when you look back, you reflect back over their history, there have been significant events that have happened in their lifespan and when they were in corporate, where they were working under really great leaders and then mm. not so great leaders. And both of them have given them incredible lessons. Some of them, if I'm ever a leader, I these are not the way that I'm going to approach my team. So I think every experience adds to the richness to how we show up, shapes our character. And I love the the way that you've shared that now, of course, bringing that to uh, today's conversation, talking about time. I mean, time is one of those things which I think is a priceless commodity. We can never get that, never get back that time. But you've got a secret on how to divide time as a leader. What's that secret? <laughs> the secret is, is that it really depends on your business and the stage of growth your business is in. Your business needs you to be three things, a visionary, a manager, and a specialist. As a visionary, you're doing the work on the business. You're being strategic. You're planning for the future. You're communicating that vision to your organization and getting buy-in. As a manager, you're managing people, work, workflow, and then as a specialist, you're actually delivering the, the goods or services that your business delivers. And the secret is that based on your business's stage of growth, which is really dependent on the number of employees in the organization, the allocation of your time changes. So in a stage one business with one to 10 employees, you're going to spend 50% of your time actually doing the work. You're going to spend a small sliver of time, 10% as a manager, because there's not a lot of people and the work, you know, there's the workflow is, is comparatively simple when you look at larger organizations. And then when you go to the visionary, it's so critical here. 40% of your time has to be working on the business. So many technical, specialized, brilliant people go into business. And they can never grow it out of a stage one business because they don't realize they need to be working on their business, creating a vision that other people can get around, that, can, mm -hmm. that they can buy into. So across the stages of growth, which really go from one employee up to 350 employees, there's a couple of trends you see, specifically specialist decreases. Right. And that's to be expected. The larger your organization is, the less time you as a CEO should be spending actually doing the consulting, making the widget. Um, the manager faces an interesting one because it starts out low. But then when you reach around 30 employees, there's this spike because you're working on this transition from being an owner-centric business to being an enterprise-centric business. And it's such a huge shift. And the key to that is delegation. It is being able to grow those managers. So from around 30 employees to around 150 employees, you are heavily in that manager face wearing that manager face, being the manager. And then it tapers off a little bit. The visionary 
very, very important in early stages, small businesses from that are that really are that owner centric size, you know, one to 20 employees. And then it becomes so critical as you get up, you know, around 200 employees, the size of the organization, the thing you're fighting at that point is being stagnant. It's becoming irrelevant. And so you have to reinvigorate, really recapture that visionary, that innovative side of the business that existed as a small business, you know, we're just starting out. And so the secret is simply, we all have these natural tendencies. We either enjoy as leaders being the specialist, the manager, or the visionary, usually. And that's where we will spend the majority of our time. But your business has needs. And really that the success comes when you can align how you spend your time between those three things with what your business needs from you. Yeah, makes so much sense. And I think as you mapped out those steps and what I might get you to do in a moment is maybe just give, just outline each of the steps so that people can then see, okay, well, there's that many steps and here's what I need to be aware of. Because as a business owner, we also need to not only be working where the business is now, but always having that foresight. Where am I hoping to grow the business? Where am I, you know, strategizing to grow the business? And being able to develop the team that you need to be able to support you in that growth. It's a fine balance, isn't it? It's a fine balance, which is why I'm sure as business strategists and and people that are working on helping us develop our business, they're always saying, you know, as that entrepreneur, as that visionary, you need to make sure from the word go that you're documenting the training, the the vision, the systems, the steps so that you can onboard the right team at the right stage because when do you need that team member? Probably months, even much further on before you actually reach that stage and it can be awkward if we don't have those things in place. So can you list what are the stages? Just briefly, oh, just yeah. kind of bullet point them. Yeah, absolutely. So stage one is the startup stage and it's from one to 10 employees. Stage two then goes from 11 to 19 employees and that's the ramp up stage. Uh, delegation is stage three and that's 20 to 34 employees. Stage four is the professional stage. It's the stage all about professionalizing your management team that you created, started to create in the delegation phase. Stage, so stage four is 35 to 57 employees, professional stage. Stage five is 57 to 95 employees, and that's the integration stage. Six is 96 to 160 employees, and that is the strategic stage. And then 161 to 350 is stage seven, the visionary stage. Love that. And when you look at um, the, each of those stages, I mean, every stage has obviously its challenges and mm-hmm. it has its objectives, what you want to have in place, what you need to be building as that strong pillar as your business is starting to grow and expand. In perhaps the things that you've heard over the, you know, over the implement- implementation that businesses have implemented that, are there specific stages that you see are really where a business can remain stagnant and probably the most challenges if they don't get the right stages? Would you say it's right at the beginning or do you find that there are similarities across some of the the stages? 
such a good question. And I would say, as we all know, there are different challenges at each of those stages, but there are some specific areas that we see that businesses will classically get stuck. I alluded to this concept of being an owner-centric business and then an enterprise-centric business. And that transition from owner-centric to enterprise-centric is probably the most challenging transition from the perspective of the business leader. And it's because their relationship with their business changes more dramatically in that shift than in any other stage of growth. And that happens from stage two to stage three. So really, when you're going from that 19 to 20 employees, the thing is, is that even though to really set your business up for growth, that transition needs to occur at that point, we see a lot of businesses that are in stage four, even five, where the leader still has not transitioned to an enterprise-centric business. And that is where you've got those burnout leaders. They are just dead at the end of the day because they have not built the business is too big. It is too complex for one person to run. It needed to be an enterprise-centric business. So that's definitely one of those. You see a lot of businesses go and oscillate stage two to stage three and back and forth. The other stage I would specifically mention is in stage four. And that stage, the professional stage, is really about professionalizing your management team, Um, creating, whether it's investing in your current staff to grow them, professionalize them, or to bring in outside really professional managers. One of the most important things that they do, though, that professional management team is they work on the process in the organization, the systems and the processes. And that is so critical in stage four. So from a business perspective, that is probably the hardest stage to get right. Because if you don't get systems and processes in place in four, you will be either pulled back as you go to future stages, or it's just this weight on the organization that, I mean, we're working at the landscaping company, for example, tremendous business. Stage six company didn't get their systems and processes in place. And they are literally at the mercy of their billing system. Like it is as simple as that. They just didn't get that figured out. And it is this thing, this thorn in their side that is keeping their business truly from growing. Simple as that. Yeah. It's that saying, isn't it? You are only as strong as the weakest link. And if you've got a weak link in your business, that is going to jeopardize the ability to grow forward and, and and to grow. And what I think is just so very important, I mean, I'm, I've am i only got uh, seven actually, but some of them are a contracted team on, on, on my staff, but I'm already, I've spent months on my team training portal documenting everything. And the more I'm documenting, the more I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, all of this, I was either doing myself or it was in my head. And it is, it's it's kind of, okay, so when are you going to actually delegate it off? Now, this is just small. Can You can imagine when you've got multiple team members all overseeing different divisions in your business, if they don't have that direction or the, you know, the, the way in which you want the business to continue, because ultimately you've got this brand, you've got this experience that you want your team to continue 
continue to exude as they're uh, working with clients and so forth. You've got to give them that information and you've got to have that so that you can attract the right people on your team, don't you? So would you say that the businesses that you've worked with that started off with that mindset, I am going to document, even if it's very simple, but I know then when I do onboard the right team members, they're going to be able to take that and empower that forward. Would you say that they transition more seamlessly through the different stages if they start off with that kind of enterprise type mindset? I think that that is, it really does set you up in a way that gives you an advantage, um, that, that enterprise mindset. And there's two sides of that, right? Because one of the things, and we kind of alluded to this, but the idea of prioritizing people, profit, and process, they're all important always, but there is a different level of priority. And one of the things, the other side of the coin of being very diligent about process is that for an organization, if they need to grow in stage one, they can get bogged down by process. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a number of things that go into that, right? So you can have a very mature stage one business that is, they're not in that traditional startup phase. And so they invest in processes to make their business more scalable. In fact, you can have an enterprise-centric stage one business. You can have a stage one business that has really evolved to not be so dependent on the leader. And when I hear the things you're saying, that's that's where my mind immediately goes is you're trying to actually create, it's a, maybe a small giant, you know, it's not a large organization, but one that is scalable. Yes. And that's where I'm really looking because if I think of all of the multiple touch points of all of the different things, and that and this is really going towards what you were saying, you've got to look at your business. What's the business model? Where do you want to grow that? And, you know, build the processes that will support it. Otherwise, that's right. You'll have processes for the sake of processes, which really are not going to support you. I'm always a, a strong believer that systems and processes are so important. But so from a business owner, CEO perspective, so is the right mindset. So what would you say is a solid mindset that all businesses should have no matter what stage that they're in? And it maybe will develop over the different stages, but a solid mindset of a business that wants to be on, you know, wants to be enterprise focused. What is a good mindset for them to have? Would you have one? That's a really great question. Um, I think it really comes back to what are what are you trying to build? So many business leaders start out because they have a good idea. They're talented. Um, but if you don't build something enterprise-centric, the owner-centric nature of your business goes away when you go away. And so there's, you know, there's so much information out there, I think, and a focus for business leaders, um, even just more recently, to say, build something that has transferable value. But that really is the mentality of your enterprise-centric business. It has transferable value because it is an enterprise. It is not an owner. Yeah. It is an enterprise. And so the mentality is, is that we all, <laughs> most CEOs I know, get into business because they, they bet on themselves, right? And part of that mentality is that you do things yourself, the problem is, is that if you're the only one that can do it, the business is just you. And if yeah, you decide that you're done, 
Yeah. I love the way that you said that. It's such a great reminder for all of us as entrepreneurs. We need to cast that vision and have it so empowering that others who want to join our company have similar core values and and really can relate uh, to that vision. We're going to spend a little bit of time in um, unpacking the the profit people and process, but I just want to acknowledge some of the people. April, great profit show reference on people, process and profit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Rachel, hey, Rachel, people process profit as special sources to sustainable business. Great sharing. Thank you. So stick around, Rachel, in April. I'm going to ask Madeline to dive a little bit deeper because she wants to share, discover the ways to prioritise ties those three very important areas. Let's talk about profit first. What do we need to know here? Yeah, so I'm going to start even a little high level and just say people, profit, and process, all important always. But similar to how I talked about the visionary, the manager, and the specialist really needing, your business needing different things from you at different stages, applies to people profit and process as well. There's really an ideal prioritization of these three things as you grow through the stages of growth. And so um, let's take stage one, stage two, those enterprise-centric businesses. Profit is the top gate of focus. Whether you're getting funding or you're bootstrapping it, you have to have enough money to keep the lights on and the doors open. And if you don't acknowledge that focus, you really put your organization in in its disadvantage, really. It'll struggle to grow. In stage one, then, just as an example, people's the next gate of focus. Well, why is that? Well, with one to 10 employees, every single person in your organization is accounts for a substantial component of the overall company. And so everyone's seen this. When you start out a business, you've got a couple of people. You could have two great people. You add one more person that's not a good fit. You can feel, you can feel the halting of growth that happens. So people becomes that next gate of focus. You have to be hiring and looking for bringing on generalists, people who can wear multiple hats, who can buy into the vision, who are those confident builder-centric individuals. Um, And then process is that lowest gate of focus in stage one, because in stage one, you don't want to over-engineer your process. And then really at the sacrifice of the strength of a stage one business, which is it's agile, it's dynamic, it can move on a dime. Um, so just as an example of how this plays out in reality, we, we see these highly technical individuals, people who are very process-oriented, software engineers, engineers, uh, software developers, and they go so for the process. Everything about process has to be perfect in their business. The problem is, is that those individuals struggle to grow because they have lost sight of that emphasis on profit. and. They run out of funding, they can't keep the lights on, you know, all those things. So that's really the secret is that your business needs to focus on different, needs to prioritize these three things differently based on the stage of growth they're in. Yes. I can really see that um, is so important. And one of the things that you mentioned about having people within the business that are generalists, I did an interview with um, someone, and we've spoken about this topic a, a number of times in, in different episodes, called 
intrapreneurs. And these are people who are very entrepreneurial, but within the business. And so you, if you attract those kind of people, they are also always looking for, for new ways, you know, to improve things, the 1%. And so as a business owner, when you, uh, you know, insta or you bring someone in, you're not having to oversee and micromanage them to make sure that everything is being done correctly. And that really makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Getting the, the people in that there that are not just doing the task, but also really contributing to the growth and and bringing in more profits to the business, even if that means they're efficient and effective in what they're doing in the business. Yes? Yes, absolutely. I have not heard that term, but I absolutely love it because it's so true. One of the ways we describe that is uh, individuals who have an ownership thinking mentality, right? They actually... Exactly. I love that entrepreneur. It's so critical in those startup stages, small organizations. I mean, you're literally looking at one third of the entire output of the whole organization. So that there's a lot of weight that goes into finding that right person. And it's not just about someone who can wear a lot of hats, right? It is about someone who believes in your vision, who buys into it, who has uh, values that align with the values that you um, you want to have for your organization. Yeah. And speak a little bit about this, Madeline, in, in your experience and what you've seen and heard. Sometimes as the, you know, the CEO, as the, the person who starts the business, there may be some certain areas that you may not necessarily have strengths in. And there may be some areas which you just can't see. So it doesn't mean that when you're bringing people in that they agree with you and that they're just going to just, you know, whatever you say. You want someone that is going to challenge you in the best possible way so that the business moves forward. Would you also say that's important? Hire for it and bring in people that complement you that so that together you can grow the business. Is that something you can do? I mean, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, I think of it, it it's almost in a, in a lot of ways, it's like relationships and marriage. It's finding the, the better halves, the things that make you whole. And entrepreneurs are expected to be all things to all people. You know, they have to be the you know, jack of all trades. But the reality is, is that we're not, we're humans. We have areas of strength. We have areas of weakness. And I do find that the leaders that are self-aware, that they understand where their strengths and their weaknesses lie and are intentional about surrounding themselves with people who have strengths in areas that they simply don't, they're a stronger unit, right? I mean, even it's it's simple math, maybe, <laughs> that it just, right, in the areas that we're weak, if we can bolster that up with natural talent, that is so the way to go. It so is. So I love all of those stages. So you've got the seven stages. And obviously, as you mentioned, it depends on what stage that you're at. Would you say that if someone is struggling and and they're they they recognize that hey we're actually in stage three but we're really struggling to move forward that there's probably something that they haven't done in the previous stages that um, needs to be looked at so that they can move to that next stage that's often something too isn't it have a look at what you haven't put in place <laughs> so insightful yes it's absolutely the case there's so many things in growing a business that are cumulative right and so it doesn't mean and in our research what we found is it doesn't keep a business. If you don't follow the rules for growth, it doesn't keep a business from growing. 
but it does impact the resilience that business has at that new stage. And you see that in, just as you suggested, in stage three, some things are not working. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing well as a stage three business. Oftentimes, it indicates that the things that you really should have had in place in earlier stages maybe didn't get handled or they, uh, you know, they worked at that size of an organization. But as you've grown, you've kind of outgrown what worked and you need to go back in there and whether that's scrap it and start over or just strengthen that, um, you know, systems are a great example. Systems and processes that work as a small business, while the business is still the same, maybe you're still delivering the same goods, the same services, what you had in place earlier doesn't always sustain you to that next level. So it is cumulative and challenges that we face, you know, in our current stage are often can be traced back to things in earlier stages. Absolutely. Yeah. What I love about that too is, of course, that sometimes as businesses, we can think, goodness, there must be something wrong with what we're doing. But mm-hmm. actual fact, it's a process. And the example that you gave of uh, the, you know, the the person who was out there doing, and I can't remember the name that you mentioned, but, you know, the gardener, is that they were beholden to their billing system. Yeah. And, you know, that billing system, had that been addressed, I'm sure, a number of stages before yeah. that allowed for the growth, uh, it would have become that bottleneck uh, for the business and it's just a matter and I think one of the most important things as a, a huge lesson for all of us is that often we focus on one specific area in our business because it's something that we either gravitate towards, it's a natural strength of ours, but it's the things that are not being addressed and not knowing the right stage at the right time and what's right for someone perfect at that stage is not right for you. And so this is this system, I think, allows people to dive in, have a look at well, where are the gaps for us and what do we need to get into place. So, Madeline, share with people how they can find out more about these different stages, how they find out more about the Rewild Group. Please share how they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So specifically, I have a landing page, rewildgroup.com backslash podcast. And you can go on there, you can see all the stages, and you can grab um, one of our most foundational pieces of resource research, really, or research in a resource is a stage card. And what that does is it boils down for your current stage of growth, what are the things to focus on? What are the rules? What are the percentages of time? And how should I be allocating um, between being a visionary, a manager, and a specialist? How should I be prioritizing people, profit, and process? What is the leadership style that my organization needs from me? What are the non-negotiable rules in the six foundational areas of the business? So just a wealth of information. And exactly, um, as Amory said, that This is how you are able to understand and see where your business is and what you need to do to get where you want to go. And one of the things I always want to mention is it's not necessarily the goal of the game or the system that everyone ends up in stage seven because so many entrepreneurs don't ever want an organization that that size. Really, the goal of this growth system is to help business leaders be able to receive the reward and the success that their effort and sacrifice deserves. There is a system, there is a predictable model, a foundation, a framework for growing your business. And it's not rocket science. It is principle-based. It is usable, accessible, 
applicable by all business leaders, regardless of your industry, your personal background, your skills and talents. They're just these foundational things that if you can learn and understand and apply to your business, that you, with the same amount of effort, the same skill set, will just achieve better results for yourself, your organization, and your staff. Fantastic. So please, once again, go and check out that resource. So uh, I think that's going to be incredibly valuable. And I love the way that you said not all of us want to develop a stage seven business, but we want to make sure that whatever stage that we're at, we want to have the right foundations in place, the right people in place, the right processes in place to enable us to generate the profit that we need so that we can go out and uh, build a legacy business, whatever that is uh, for you. So thanks once again, Madeline, for coming to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I am integrating a new segment into today's show, and it is called How to Build Your Reach, Your Reputation as a Trusted Authority, and Your Revenue with Your Message. And so this is a lesson that I learned recently when I was finishing up with a podcast interview. We were sitting in the back of uh, the studio, and my guest asked me, so what can I do for you? How can I support you? And so what when I'm generally asked this question, I'm quite concise, but at the end of uh, kind of a minute or so, he said, so let me just back up. Let me headline this. So you're saying to me, and then he repeated back in a shorter sentence what I had just said, and I realized I had made a big mistake. I had made the mistake of not headlining it, not creating an umbrella statement. What is the outcomes? What is the benefits? What are the challenges that my ideal client uh, is struggling with so that this guest could keep an eye out for people in his networking and maybe even in his existing community of people who needed my support so that he could introduce us. So even me, I get you know stuck or start rambling and that's what we don't want to do. So we're a valuable reminder this week, have a head headline statement, have that umbrella statement of who you serve, how you can support them, and the best way that uh, your particular person who you're talking to, your network partner, someone that you've maybe just met online is best able to support and recommend you. So valuable reminder, let me know how you go. And as always, have an amazing week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by theinfluencealliance.com. Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.theinfluencealliance.com forward slash podcast series. That's theinfluencealliance.com forward slash podcast series.